All right, well, this morning we begin a new series in the book of Amos. That's right, the book of Amos. It's an Old Testament prophet. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, really excited about this, but turn to the, the book of Amos. Uh, it's kind of hard to find, so I recommend that you just go to the beginning of your Bible, table of contents. Uh, Amos comes right after Daniel, Hosea, Joel, uh, what we're gonna do in this first series is I wanna do two things. Number one, I just wanna tell you why the book of Amos. And then we're only gonna look at the first two verses of this book this morning and really set a trajectory of where this series is going. Uh, but let me begin with this observation. Most churches, or maybe I'll put it this way, it's not uncommon uh, for certain churches to eat certain meals that they love. Meaning it's not uncommon to hear, you know, when you talk to other Christians to hear this sentence, like, you know, my church is big on, you know, the gospels and Jesus, or my church is big on, you know, the social justice, or my church is big on, you know, the spirit, or my church is, you know, whatever it is. Um, most churches tend to have a diet of certain kinds of preaching and teaching that they love. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but oftentimes um, it can lead to an unhealthy balance. So the Bible does call us to teach and preach the whole counsel of God. And so like a wise mom, or, you know, one of your like health kick roommates or your spouse who's deciding to do keto, um, when they say, hey, we need to add these food groups to our diet, oftentimes you'll be like, I don't really like the way this one tastes. Okay, well, it's true when it comes to the Bible. There are some books that you would admit that churches avoid because they don't always taste really good. Now, we need them. Just so you know, Amos was that for me, okay? So let me, let me give you a true story. Why are we doing this book? Well, number one, outside of it's in the Bible and we ought to balance how much New Testament teaching, you know, I've poured into the shore with old, uh, I really believe Jesus told me to do it. Uh, I'll tell you this, so about two months ago, I was in the hub, I was spending some time in the word, just listening prayer, uh, right before I was about to do some sermon prep, and I kept hearing in my mind's eye, Amos, 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 and here's the thing, I wasn't reading the book of Amos, I wasn't even in the Old Testament in my reading plan, I, it's, not, it's not even an Old Testament book that would come to mind, um, you know, like Isaiah or the big ones come to mind, so it was really interesting. And I was like, Amos, Amos, Amos. Okay, all right. So I asked the Holy Spirit, uh, do you want me to read Amos? And I sensed yes. So I was like, okay, I can read. And I was like, do you want me to preach on Amos? I also sensed yes. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'll pick it up. And I started to read portions of it. And I, I literally said out loud, no, no. I was like, God, this is nine chapters minus two verses of God, your judgment on your people for their stale commitments to you, judgment on the nations and like extreme judgments on the nations for you know, their lack of love, all the injustices against humankind. Uh, it's, it's just an indictment on the hypocrisy 
hypocrisy of your church, this whole book um, is your perspective and your pain and your righteous judgment on a people who, um, man, we're all about pursuing affluence, all about wealth and what they could do, living in luxury, all the time neglecting the oppressed. You know, they were, they were treating others horribly, not as human beings, but as things. There was exploitation, there was social injustice. And, and there is emotionally charged language of how God reacts and what's going on in his heart when he sees this stuff. He's calling all the nations to account. Um, it's intense. I mean, let me just give you a taste of where we're going. These, here's a few moments of injustice throughout Amos. You can see this on the screen. Amos 2.7, they trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. Amos 2.12, he says, you made the most devoted people, the Nazarites, get drunk and you told pastors to stop preaching, but you made the Nazarites drink wine and commanded the prophets saying, you shall not prophesy. Amos 4.1, you oppressed the poor and didn't help the needy. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. Okay, don't worry, Jordan's gonna preach that sermon. Uh, Amos 6, here's another one. You have incredible nice things, but you're not concerned at all with your spiritual laziness. You have such apathy for your people. Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp and like David write worship songs who drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. You're even trafficking people. You're using them as possessions. You're running over them. You're not giving them races. You're, they're image bearers, Amos 8, 6, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat. And, and the main verse, I mean, this whole, where we get the subtitle to this series, the main emphasis, a verse Martin Luther King Jr. used to preach and pray and proclaim is Amos 5.24. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. Alec Moiter in his commentary, uh, written by the way, in 1974, he writes this, the people of God, had fallen asleep in the comfort of the privileges of salvation and needed to be jolted into the awareness that the only assured certainty of the possession of those privileges was the evidence of a life committed without reserve to being holy as their savior God is holy. And it can hardly be held that this message is an irrelevance for the church today. And so to be honest with you, after I sense God say, Amos, 
Uh, and I said, no, I, I literally was like, Jesus, like we're kind of on this unique roll right now. Like, I mean, the Psalms were so sweet, your nature and character. We just came out of, you know, blessings and, and learning how to bless one another. And Galatians, you know, we, yeah, we talked hard things, but it was, it was grace. We were talking about pursuing intimacy with the father who loves us. And that's all true. But I feel like, like, the, like the whole diet analogy what we need over and over and over again is to hear the message of Amos. And, and so, you know, uh, so, so it was the second day. So I said, no, this is day one. So I go back and do my devotions the next day. I'm like, you know what? Hearing God's voice is kind of subjective sometimes. Maybe it was just, you know, a strange morning. And so I go and do my devotions and again, the whole morning, Amos, Amos. And I just smiled and I stopped and I looked up and I was like, you, want, you have something to say to the shore. Like not many people are gonna hear this sermon, but us. And so um, I said, okay, we built out this, this series. By the way, this was like at least a month before George Floyd and that horrific video in the spotlight of, of social injustice and racial injustice and, um, and so here's what I want to say. I, we live on the North shore, one of the most affluent places in Canada and in the world. This is a book written to an affluent, those who are pursuing affluence. And I really believe that that the Holy Spirit has a message for us in the book of Amos. And so sure, my ask is this, that we listen to him. I know it's obvious, but that we examine and we ask the Holy Spirit where we're not seeing injustice as we ought. That we come into this series believing we have blind spots and that the Holy Spirit is so gracious and he's so loving and he's so zealous about those blind spots and his kingdom and what he's done in our lives that we want this. And so here's my ask. I want you to read the book of Amos this week. I want you to read it, get it in you. Uh, and just so you know, this is a book that will make you feel uncomfortable. This is a book that will exalt in Jesus much, yes, but it's a book that will usher in um, uncomfortable grace. But remember what we said last week, God is wise. All his words are wise. All his words are loving. All his words are a good word to us. And in the words of Paul Tripp, and this will be on the screen, God brings those difficult things to his people so that they would return to him. Um, in the middle of Amos, actually just in the middle of this quote, one of the repeated phrases is, yet you did not return to me. I did this, I did this, and yet you did not return to me. He goes on and says this. Um, so God brings those difficult things to his people so that they would return to him and then know his life, his hope, his grace. And the reason you have that harsh mercy is because God is dissatisfied with the way his people are living. We need to hear that sentence. He charges leaders from being uncaring, celebrating their wealth and their power while the rest of their people are suffering. You see, God's mercy is not just forgiving mercy, it's transformative mercy. 
And so he will bring hard things our way in order to mold us into his image, to mold us into the people of God, to awaken us up to stuff the church has fallen asleep on. So, so get to know Amos, really believe, like don't have this thought, oh, Amos. Like, yeah. Be like, okay, Jesus told me I need to get to know this book. So, so we're gonna pray. Um, and I want you to ask the father to number one, give you his heart and to give you a soft heart of humility and confess something like this. God, you alone are wise on, on this issue, on the issues of Amos and I am not. So strike down pride. Where, where I think I've got it figured out. Um, strike down areas where you're saying to me, I want you to grapple with real issues of your heart. And, and I, I bet you right now, some of you didn't hear that. It was just like that moment you tuned out, right? Raise your hand if you just tuned out. Um, here, here's what just happened. You had a wall go up. Now, I don't know the source of that wall necessarily, but I can tell you pride is underneath it. Listen, defensiveness is an indicator of what God wants to change in your life. So the moment you're kind of going, mm, not me, that's, that is called pride. And pride, listen, will prevent you from hearing God's voice. The most important thing in your life is to hear God's word and his voice. You can read his word and not hear him. And so if you're, if you're right now going, not me, the Lord is beginning to already apply Amos. Worse, it keeps you from actually having God fill those places in your heart that he wants to make you more like Jesus. That's what he wants to do. He wants, you to, make, he wants to make you the most loving person in the universe, like his son, Jesus. And so the call of Amos begins with a call to self-reflection and let me say this, the spirit will speak to us about sin. Jesus said that's what one he came to do to reveal to us about sin. But listen, as believers, as those who have all the merits of Jesus, who Jesus is our savior, when the spirit convicts us, it's not to condemn us, but it's to draw us nearer to him so that we can love what he loves and live how he lived. That's the goal of Amos. You're not loving what God loves or living as how God lived and loved you. So warnings like the book of Amos are God love, is God's love coming to us, calling the church to act, calling the church to embrace God's compassion and how he rescued us when we were oppressed. Okay, now let me just get into it and then we'll, we'll, we'll pray here. But Spurgeon said this, speaking of our salvation privilege, he says this, let present privilege awaken us to present duty. Amen? And now while life lasts, let us spend and be spent for our sweet Lord Jesus. This is the heart of Amos. Let present privilege awaken us to present duty. So would you now join me in prayer? And here's what I'd like to do. I want us to begin with a moment of silence where you just ask the Holy Spirit to now come and ask him and invite him to show you what he wants to show you throughout this series and say, when you show me this, I will obey. So let's do that now.
Father, we just thank you for the work of your spirit. And I just, I pray as we begin in this new series, a series where you're gonna roar from heaven, let justice roll down, that we would hear it. We thank you, God, that we stand righteous in Jesus. We have the forgiveness of God. We have love. We've been bought. Lord, your goodness to us is not contingent on our goodness. We know our gospel and we're excited about it, but there's probably areas of injustice we're not seeing. There's probably affluence that we pursue more than repentance. And there's stuff I believe you have for the shore. And I pray we would not be afraid to have a light shine there. So shine, we say, use us. Give us your love, give us your eyes. I pray as we go into this incredible book, you would protect us from the enemy who's the accuser of the saints. Lord, help us come into this book dripped in the blood of Jesus, knowing that your judgment is, made, is meant to awaken us. Help us feel the judgment of God for our unbelieving friends in such a way that it causes us to act rightly and, and bring the good news of Jesus to our city. Loosen our grip on this world, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, Short Church. Today, I will be reading from Amos. The words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, the vision he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake. When Uzziah was king of Judah and Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, was king of Israel, he said, the Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds dry up and the top of Carmel withers. All right. Okay. With the start of a brand new series, I kind of shared why we're doing Amos. We definitely need to plant deeply in the context, both where we find ourselves in God's story, which is our story, but also where we find Amos rightly situated in human history. And so to help me with that, I'd like uh, really for us to be reminded um, as a whole about the story of God. And so earlier this week, I came across a video, actually a friend of mine who I went to school with that Moody uh, did about the whole Bible in two minutes. So we're gonna watch that and then we'll place ourselves in Amos. Ever heard of it? It's the story of God. You're actually a character in it too, but not for a while, and you aren't even the main character anyway. That's God, and how he in his holiness created, loved, and saved the world. 
God created everything and chose a man named Abraham and made him a promise to bless the whole world through him. God also made him into a nation. That nation broke free from slavery under the leadership of Moses. Through Moses, God brought the law. It's the type of nation he wanted and a covenant of blessing for obedience and curses for disobedience. God gave his people, Israel, a land, many more leaders, a successor to Moses, a series of judges, and then kings. Most of the kings were pretty awful, but one of them stands out, David. He was a man after God's own heart, and God made a covenant with him for a permanent, eternal king that would come through his line. After David, the kingdom of Israel split in two, and the people repeatedly chose to disobey Moses' covenant, and they were sent one kingdom at a time into exile. Before, during, and after the exile, 16 prophets spoke of returning to the covenant with Moses and hoping for the finalization of the covenants with Abraham and David. There are also some practical books mixed in, answering ancient questions like Job, Why Do Bad Things Happen?, and more collections on God's ideals on worship, wisdom, and sexuality. But back to the narrative. Three men named Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah led the people of Israel out of exile and back to Jerusalem and waited for the promised blessing and king. He came 400 years later. His name was Jesus from the line of Abraham and David, but not a king in the manner they were expecting. He blessed and saved the people of Israel, but not from Rome like they hoped but from sin and death. Jesus came and completely satisfied the covenants and laws of the Old Testament while establishing a new covenant and kingdom, one built on love instead of law and on mission instead of nationality. Jesus sent his disciples to bring the kingdom into action in the world, and they did, along with a new convert named Paul, planting churches all along the known world. Paul wrote letters to the churches he planted, and they served as the models for Christian behavior. Jesus' closest friend and disciple, John, invited people of all ages, races, backgrounds, and personalities to believe in Jesus and be free from sin and death. He also wrote an apocalyptic book called Revelation that completes the Bible and tells of the return of our precious Savior, Abraham's blessing. Israel's true king, the inaugurator of love over law, God's son and your savior, if you believe, Jesus Christ. And that's the Bible in two minutes. Well, two minutes and a bit, give or take. All right, so to place us in, in God's story, Amos is uh, about 150 years after the, after the divided kingdom. Okay, so really quick, um, after David, you know, David and Goliath, his son Solomon uh, reigns. It seems to be the most amazing time period for God's people. There's peace, there's victory uh, from the surrounding nations. There's spiritual enjoyment of God. The temple is built. There's sacrifices, there's great worship. But sadly, if you know your story's history, Solomon falls in love with his desire for women and literally has hundreds and thousands of wives and concubines and, and, and men, you know this, like, like the eye exam, uh, sexual sin puts shades after shades of blurriness in your devotion and your affections towards God. And what happens is his heart is turned away from God and turned away to their idols and their foreign gods. And if, you, if you've ever read your Old Testament, you have these series of kings that come after who do this same thing. There's a legacy of God's people from that day forward, worshiping idols. And then right after Solomon, you got Rehoboam and, and there's a huge rebellion that happens that splits the people of God in, into Judah in the South and Israel in the North. You can read about this in first Kings chapter 12. And so again, it's bad King after bad King. And as we come to Amos now, we're 150 
50 years after that divided kingdom. And these two kings that Amos is talking about in where he's speaking into, they've had a long period to reign, which means there's a lot of luxury and success and time to cultivate, uh, you know, the economy. And so let's read this, Amos 1.1. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherd, shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of, so here's, the, here's where we are in, he, in the history, in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. Such a cool detail. We don't actually know a lot about the earthquake. Um, there is archeological evidence. There's disagreement on that. Uh, I, it doesn't really matter. I mean, Zechariah talks about this massive earthquake. Uh, what's really powerful about this is just how the Bible's not mythology. It, it, it's like after the earthquake, it actually plants itself in real history. And so here's what we need to see right now as we pick up Amos. We have, and here's a map, the Northern Kingdom Israel, okay, ruled by Jeroboam. And then the King of Judah, who's ruled by Uzziah. So you see the green Israel, purple, purple is Judah, purple for Judah. Um, you can actually read about both of these kings and you can write these down if you want. And in Second uh, Chronicles 26 for King Uzziah, Jeroboam, you can read about his reign in Second Kings 14, 23 to 29. Okay, so where is our boy Amos? Well, here, here's where Amos is. He's in, he's in Tekoa. So he's in between Judah and Israel. He's actually from Judah, but he's in here shepherding and these are all the nations that we're about to get into next week around judgment before we get into judging Israel, but that's coming up. And so um, where's Amos? So he's a shepherd, we, we learned. And in Amos seven fourteen, when he's talking to Amaziah, which we'll learn about later, he says this, I was no prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. Okay, so... He is as ordinary as you can get in the sense that he's, uh, you know, a shepherd. And he, he is, he's a, a sycamore tree farmer. But it's, what's crazy about this is this is where God calls him. And just imagine his role. Okay, imagine. I mean, he's probably out in the fields just enjoying what most of us on the North Shore enjoy, the wind the breeze, animals, and he's, he's gardening. He just came back from Rona. He's really excited about his sycamore plants. He's, he's, he doesn't want to get involved, right? He's probably an Enneagram nine. He's really comfortable. Oh, I don't know if we like Enneagram, different story. And then God calls him to Israel. How many of you are like, oh, what? If you were him, put yourself in his shoes. You don't want to get involved in the oppression, the affluence. You just want to plant your sycamore trees and live a comfortable life. And God goes, that's not how my people live. God calls an ordinary guy who's in the field, a tree farmer to a people he doesn't like because he's from Judah to share a message he knows they won't hear but he goes, why does he go? Because God called him to. So who was Amos? He was a shepherd like David before him. He had an everyday job. He wasn't a son of a king or anyone famous or a prophet, 
But in this ordinary life, God comes to him to give him a message. God breaks into our lives at times when he sees injustice and he wants to do something about it. And the question is, are we gonna listen? Douglas Stewart in his commentary describes the prophet Amos as the annihilation of the opulent. Okay, sounds so smart. I actually had to look up every one of those words. Um, David Platt in a sermon he did on racism in 2016 at the T4G conference, he says this, our God is not honored by mouths that are quick to sing and hands that are quick to rise in worship when those same mouths are slow to speak and those same hands are slow to work against injustice. And again, this is Amos. And, and I think as, as we join Amos is my heart, as we hear ourselves as the oppressed and as the oppressor, you're gonna be all over the map as we go through this series, but the key here is his heart. We need to be again, as we prayed earlier, asking God, God, where's the block? Where are my own biases? Where is their greed? Where am I only pursuing affluence and why? Where am I not concerned for the spiritual poverty of my neighbor? I only just talk about how great his house is. And, 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 the, and the key in Amos is we wanna be led by the spirit and so we need to ask the Holy Spirit specifically, where have we been or are we now slow to speak and work against all forms of injustice? That's the question that you need to begin to ponder as we walk in. It's Amos, it's a question you're gonna ask in your community group this week. Where am I or are or am I now slow to speak and slow to work against all forms of injustice? Okay, so as we set the trajectory for this series, I wanna close in verse two and I want you to feel the intensity of how God's um, reactions are. Verse two, he says this, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. He says, the Lord roars, okay? He does not purr from Zion. He's not merely, you know, a quick hiss. This is not like a meow after a good meal. This is a pouncing roar of the lion as it launches itself on its prey, uh, immediately one of the scenes from Chronicles of Narnia came to mind right away. So kids, in case you're, you know, maybe all checked out, this one's for you. See, th this is a roar from Zion. This is God majestic. This is God in holiness. His voice cannot be ignored. He is not a tame cat. He's not a cool cat or kitten. This, this, this verb roar literally translated, uh, can be translated thunders. 
It literally, it, it just gives his voice. I remember in Chicago, one of the most scariest moments I've ever had in my life came from a thunderclap. I had no idea what it was. Thought Chicago was being bombed. Um, and <laughs> super embarrassing because everyone's used to it but me. And uh, I was just walking the streets. So Chicago's right on the water, the lake, high buildings. There was a thunder, a lightning that hit the middle of the city and it clapped. And I literally fell to my knees and I was terrified that this is what he wants you to feel. There's a rattle in your soul. The word of the Lord through Amos would have startled and would have shocked his audience with its power. God's roar is one of truth. God's roar is one of compassion. God's roar is one of goodness and love. And we need to join him. We need to be what God is for. And we need to be against what God is against. And as we look at Jesus, we need to learn from Jesus. Jesus was good at standing in the pain of those around them, around him before he gave his opinion. Do we hear and see God's heart? This is where we need to start. We need to pause in the pain of our communities around us. We need to pause in the pain of our indigenous communities, our Asian communities, our black communities, our, our neighboring country in the US. We, we need to feel it. We, we need to weep with those who weep. We need to watch every video by God's grace. We, we, we need to see that Two days ago, 80 people were slaughtered by Boko Haram. Children, women were taken to be used as sex slaves. Children were taken to go into child soldier labor two days ago. And when we mourn with those who mourn, that's where justice and empathy grow. We cannot look away because God does not look away. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., he said it beautifully. He said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. So, so here's my ask, let's not miss the opportunity of the word of God of Amos. In God's eyes, there's, there's not a them, it's an us. And so Amos invites us to repent. Biblical repentance, let me explain this, is about changing your mind and purpose. It's, it's an action of turning from and towards. It's not just feeling bad and stopping. It's a change of action. It's about changing the way you, you, you think and, and, and live. It's about bringing yourself into alignment with God. And if you're out of alignment, he's gonna talk to us. See, when your heart, your behavior, your belief system 
or your thinking deviates from God's ways and doings, your soul will get out of alignment. And so Amos is an invitation to realign. And, and too many Christians are represented in Amos. And so may we hear, may we hear, may we hear. So with this, Amos begins next week with calling the nations to account. But let's pray. Father, we, we love your word. It's, it's actually in us, James says, because we've been made, we've been born again by the living word of God. And so Lord, I just, I pray that we'd recognize any defenses and we would just put them down and we would just say, Lord, speak. I, I just, I pray we wouldn't be like the rich young ruler, which, which in that passage, you said you loved him, but he loved his possessions. He loved his affluence. And, I, and I, I pray you would open our eyes to see what you see right now. Give us great wisdom. Lord, I pray you'd, you'd bless the shore with such a unity within this series, such a zeal within this series, such a, a spirit of repentance. I pray that almost every conversation we would have, I can't, I'm, I'm just realizing how selfish I am. And there would be change and there'd be ideas and we'd be led by your spirit. And I know the answer right now isn't just go do and, and blast social media, but I pray that the answer right now would be to press into you, to hear your heart, to weep and mourn and to pray. And we long, we say, come Lord Jesus. But as, as we read as Spurgeon said, I pray that we would as those who are believers would use our gospel privilege to be your hands and feet, to love what you love and lived how you lived. And so spirit, would you now guide us and fill us this week? I pray as we go into the book of Amos that you would just give us your heart. Lord, as, as, as Nikki prayed last week, I pray you'd light a fire of zeal in our spirits to see your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that we would be your ambassadors, bringing your great, perfect, redemptive, impartial love to every nation, tribe, and tongue. We love because you first loved us. Grant us wisdom, discernment, humility, and teachability in your great and holy and just name. Amen.